Good morning. Welcome to Christchurch. Welcome to our next part of our summer series on Nehemiah um, as we look through the whole book together. My name is Rob and um, I'm part of the leadership team here at Christchurch. And I'd just like to start by echoing what Tom said last week, that it is a privilege to be asked to be an elder here at this church. Um, and as Tom said, uh, we're very excited about what God's going to do in this next season. And we really do appreciate your prayers for us and our families and for the rest of the leadership team here. So we're looking at Nehemiah. Today we're looking at Nehemiah 4. If you haven't heard Joel or Tom's talk, I'll just do a very quick recap. We have um, the Persians have taken the Jewish people into exile. Uh, Ezra has already returned to Jerusalem, which was in ruins, and he has uh, helped to rebuild the temple. And then we have Nehemiah, who is a cupbearer to the king. And he is saddened to hear that the walls of Jerusalem are still in ruins. And so he asked permission, which is granted, for him to return to Jerusalem to build the walls again. As we heard last week, the people have begun rebuilding the walls. Um, and they've worked with such unity as they have built the part of the wall in front of where they live. And that's where we pick up the story today. Now remember, the focus of this Old Testament story is about rebuilding walls. Re-establishing a city, a place of identity, a place of security for the people, a place where worship and obedience to God um, will be central again to the people. But it's also important that we look at this story through our New Testament eyes as well. It's not therefore just about us building walls, but it's about us playing our part in building God's kingdom. But we're still a people where Jesus will be the center. So today we're looking at chapter 4 of Nehemiah. If you have a Bible, I just encourage you to find it now. As a family, uh, we really enjoy watching films together. And recently we watched uh, a kid's film, uh, Sonic the Hedgehog. Um, it wasn't as bad as it sounds. Now at this point I could say that uh, my children made me watch it, but the truth is I did actually want to watch it as well. Now it was actually okay, um, but what spoilt it was when Georgie kept interrupting and saying that the film was just like another film, and all the same things were happening. It even had the same lead actor. Um, and she was right, but it did spoil the film. And she's done that before, I'll be honest. The worst was probably when she said that Ant-Man, the uh, Marvel superhero film, was just the same as Grandpa in My Pockets, which is a kid's TV show where an old man puts a hat on and shrinks. Ant-Man has never been the same since for me. But it did remind me of how many stories are very similar. They have the same storylines. Nehemiah 4 reminds me of one of those films where um, the people encounter a threat, whether a baddie or a disaster, um, and each time they think they're safe, it comes again and again. You know, even at the credit scenes in these films, you see the baddie who's just been defeated suddenly is alive and well again, ready for the sequel. In your Bible, you may have um, a subheading in chapter 4 that says something like opposition to the work. And that's the clear uh, theme of this section. The different forms of opposition that the people face as they attempt to complete the work of rebuilding the walls. And each time they deal with one set of opposition, something else comes up again. There's another threat. And it's also about God's protection of his people as they're faced with opposition. So I'd like to focus today on how Nehemiah deals with the opposition um, that they encounter. And we can learn from his approach to opposition that, uh, that we may face also as we build church here. See, each time Nehemiah encounters opposition, he responds in a God-centered and practical way, both through prayer and through action. And we see right at the story, you remember in chapter 1 and 2, um, when Nehemiah hears about the walls, he responds in prayer and in action as he speaks to the king. 
And that's the pattern we see here continue through chapter 4. Always both, prayer and action. Um, I'm not going to read the whole passage through now, but what I will do is go through one section at a time. And I've also chosen not to paraphrase anything today because there's so much in chapter 4 that I don't want us to miss it. So the first section, uh, verses 1 to 6. Now, when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged. And he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and he said, yes, what they're building, if a fox goes up on it, he will break down the stone wall. Hear, O God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt, and let not the sin be blotted out from your sight. For they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. So we built the wall, and all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. See, last week Tom showed us how Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem were unhappy that Nehemiah had come and intended to rebuild the wall, and so they mocked them and tried to get them into trouble, didn't they? But the people got on and started rebuilding the wall. And now the, wall, the, ball, the, the, the building has begun. They're back and they're still angry. And they mock them again. Sanbarat tries to put them off the work by making fun of them. He calls them feeble Jews. He says, will they finish in a day? Will they revive the stones? And then Tobiah chips in and says, if a fox walks on the wall, it's going to break down. And how does Nehemiah respond to these taunts? In two ways, as I've said already. First, he prays. He gives it to God, and he lets God deal with it. And second, they just get on with the work. It says, so we built the wall. The people weren't put off the task in hand or distracted, but instead they worked quickly. It says the people had a mind to work, no doubt motivated by Nehemiah's words and his prayers. They knew what they were building was important, and they knew that God was with them, so they just got on, even in the face of opposition. It's not always easy, easy, though, is it? When someone makes fun of you or looks down on you because you're a Christian. Similar to Tom last week, I've been laughed at for going to church, and I've had people disagree with me. But if I'm honest, I've never personally faced uh, anything close to the difficulties that many others face for their faith. Let's be mindful that in some parts of the world, Christians face such extreme persecution for what they believe, far worse than we may see here in the UK. However, Jesus did say that persecution would come for following him. In Matthew 5, he said, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And later in the same chapter, Jesus goes further to say that we should love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. If you've experienced difficulty, unkind words from friends or family members about your faith, going to church, how you spend your time, even how you spend your money, can I encourage you to continue to pray about it? Pray about it for them as well. Give it to God and allow him to work through the situation. And secondly, just like the people in the story, as best you can, just try to get on with God's help. So, so far in the story, Nehemiah and the people have built the wall to half the height. They have some protection, but it's not enough. The threat is not yet over. Now to the next section from verse 7. 
But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. So Sanballat and Tobiah are back, but this time with support. Now, Sanballat came from the north, Tobiah from the east, the Arabs from the southeast, and the Ashdites came from the west. In other words, they're surrounded on almost every side, and everyone's angry, and they're all plotting together to attack Jerusalem and cause confusion. They're angry because the city is becoming more fortified now. The people are better protected and more secure. Their plan is if they strike now while there's still weaknesses, they might have a chance, while there are still gaps in the wall. And how does Nehemiah deal with this threat? Similar to before. He prays, and then he takes action by setting a guard, keeping a watch to better protect the city. I don't know if you ever feel like that, surrounded and vulnerable. I know for me, my insecurities can often hold me back, and I need to constantly bring those to God in prayer and not let them keep, get a foothold in my life, and I have to keep a watch on them. Similarly, we need to be on guard for sin and temptation in our lives, as they can hinder us from pursuing uh, the purposes of God in our lives. It's when we're feeling weak, when we're feeling tired, when we're feeling down, that's when we're least protected, isn't it? And we're most vulnerable. We need to keep a watch over those weaker areas in our lives. Being watchful isn't a discipline that we often talk about, but it is in Scripture. Remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus told his disciples to watch and pray that they don't fall into temptation. Paul wrote about it too. To the Corinthians, he said, be watchful, stand firm in the faith. To the Galatians, he said, keep watch on yourself, lest you be tempted. To the Colossians, he said, continue steadfast in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. We need to be watchful, don't we? Especially in those areas of weaknesses that we have. Then pray for God's help and strength um, and take action. And that action could be a simple step or it could be a life-changing step. It could be watching what we read or what we watch uh, on TV, who we're spending time with, the places we go, or how long we spend online. We have to be watchful in those areas. Count to the next section, verse 10. In Judah it was said, the strength of those who bear the, ba- the, the, strength of those who bear the burdens is failing, but there is too much rubble. By ourselves we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said, they will not know it or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. At that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us ten times, you must return to us. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, in open places, I stationed the people by their clans and with swords, their spears and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, for your sons, your daughters, your wives and your homes. This next wave of opposition is different to the first. Firstly, when faced with the enormity of the task, there are doubts within the people themselves. They're feeling overwhelmed by the work ahead. It says their strength is failing. There's too much rubble. We won't be able to do it by ourselves. Then there's yet another threat of attack, this time secretly at night, leading to fear of what might happen. And lastly, there are other believers trying to persuade them to leave the work and come home. 
Again, the dangers, they're worried about the dangers of the, uh, that their loved ones would face if they stay. This time, Nehemiah responds, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight. He points them to God again, doesn't he? And he takes action by stationing people with weapons ready to fight. And this is the pattern we've seen all the way through the story, isn't it? Nehemiah and the people pray and trust God for their protection. And at the same time, they take action to build and better defend themselves. The notes in my study Bible in this section say or remind us that God's purposes are often accomplished through ordinary human means. So God uses us in these ways as we trust in him. And this is only possible through the Holy Spirit at work in us. On to the final section, probably the most well-known section of the story, from verse 15. When our enemies heard that it was known to us that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. From that day on, half of my servants worked on construction, and half held their spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah, who were building on the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on their work with one hand and held his hat, weapon with the other. And each of the builders held his sword strapped to his side while he built. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. And I said to the, I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread, and we are separated on the wall, far from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. So we labored at the work, and half of them held their spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. I also said to the people at that time that every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem, that they may be a guard for us by night and may labor by day. So neither I, nor my brothers, nor my servants, nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us took off our clothes, each kept his weapon at his right hand. As I said, this is a well-known section the threat seems to be over. The enemies didn't attack, but yet the people don't stop and claim victory, but they press on with greater urgency. So urgent, in fact, that it says that they didn't even change their clothes. That reminds me of some residential trips I've been involved with. We see here a wonderful picture of God's people building and ready to fight, working and staying watchful. Everyone is playing their part. Some are building, and some are defending. And both, some are doing both at the same time. He says they are building or carrying loads with their weapons ready. I'm not sure if they had a sword in their hand for the whole time. Um, if you've ever done any DIY, you'll know that holding a sword at the same time as trying to do something practical probably isn't very practical. But the point is clear, that they were ready to work together and they were ready to stand together while continually relying on God. True multitasking at work. Right, time for a game. Children's especially for you. You might want to pause the video now and have a go, or you might want to do it at the end. My challenge to you is to make up a game, a fun game, where you need to build or make something, and at the same time, be defending as well. You can make up how you play it, but just make sure that it's lots of fun. For example, you could build a Lego tower while someone throws beanbags at you. Can you build a house of cards while someone is shooting a Nerf gun at you? Or can you make a paper aeroplane and defend a goal at the same time? 
I'm sure you can think of some better ideas than that. So it's not easy to build and defend at the same time, is it? But that's what the people did to make the city more secure. Nehemiah goes a step further for security with a trumpet as a call to arms. When they hear the trumpet, they rally together, don't they? There is great unity within the people. It's wonderful to see God supporting one another when they most need it. If you're struggling in any way at the moment, can I encourage you to not suffer in silence, but reach out and to uh, rally people around you. Speak to your life group leader, a friend, or even contact us at the office. See our phones. They're our modern-day trumpet, aren't they? It's so easy to get in contact with others. In our life group, um, we shared messages regularly through our WhatsApp group, requesting prayer and support, as well as the odd silly video and photo. So don't suffer in silence, but rally people around you. Lastly, in this section, we see Nehemiah told the people to pass the night inside the city. There's still a risk, so he says to stay with the people. As we've seen, it's the safest place, isn't it? Because of both the walls and the people. And it's not just about staying safe, because everyone was needed inside the walls. Everyone had a part to play in building God's kingdom. Matthew Henry, a uh, preacher from the 1600s, said this in his commentary on this passage. He said, The strength of a city lies more in its hands than in its walls. I love that quote. The strength of a city lies more in its hands than in its walls. And that's true for us here, isn't it? Our strength doesn't lie in this building, but it lies in our hands. So we can see from Nehemiah's example how we respond to opposition. But it's not always easy, is it? But we can look at Jesus' life as an example. If anyone knows opposition, it was him. Satan tried to tempt him. He was rejected by many for what he taught and chased out of town. The religious leaders tried to catch him and plotted ways to uh, stop him. Jesus knew the enormity of the task ahead, and it caused him great anguish at times. His own disciples deserted him when he needed him the most. One of them even betrayed him. He was mocked by the soldiers. He was mocked by the religious rulers while he was on the cross. They shouted, Why can't you save yourself? But we also see throughout his whole life that he spent regular time in prayer, followed by action, even in the face of constant opposition. His hands were always full of God's work, demonstrating the kingdom of God through his teaching, his healing, performing miracles, showing compassion, welcoming everyone to him. And his greatest act of love, his hands full of the sins of the world, as nails held him to a cross, through those very same hands. And at the same time, he's praying, Father, forgive them. I think it's fascinating to think that Jesus was taken outside the walls of Jerusalem to be crucified. He was taken outside the very same walls that we see Nehemiah building here. Jesus was treated like an enemy of God so that we wouldn't be. See, we're looking at a story today about walls, but Jesus is building a kingdom without walls. Zechariah had a prophecy in the Old Testament about a future Jerusalem. It says in Zechariah 2, Jerusalem shall be inhabited as villages without walls because of the multitude of people and livestock in it. And I will be a a wall of fire all around, declares the Lord. And I will be the glory in her midst. This is the picture of the kingdom of God. No walls means that there's access to, to everyone, a multitude, Jews and Gentiles, people from all nations. And instead, God himself will be the wall of protection around his people. 
See, Jesus' death and resurrection has destroyed the wall of hostility between us and God. Jesus has made a way for us to be welcomed into God's family, to find eternal security with God at the center, no matter what we face in this life. In John 10, 27, Jesus said, The sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Paul writes in Romans 8 that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Now that's a place of security that no walls can provide, but it's only available in the kingdom of God. So in closing, we're called to play our part in building this kingdom of God. Not necessarily with a trowel and a sword, but in every way that God has called us to, individually and corporately as a church. This passage in Nehemiah reminds us that we will face opposition, and there will be setbacks in various forms, perhaps being mocked or attacked for our beliefs, perhaps having doubts in the face of the task ahead, or fears of what may happen. But Nehemiah's example reminds us that we firstly respond in prayer. We give it to him. We look to God. Remember Nehemiah's words, Do not be afraid. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And we can respond in, in action too, whether that means simply carrying on with the work ahead of us and not being put off. It might mean setting a guard over our lives for temptation, stopping doubts, fears, or others trying to discourage us. It might mean rallying around each other when they need help. So can I encourage you to play your part in building God's kingdom, even in the face of opposition? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that you are always with us. You have promised to protect us. We thank you that we can fully rely on you. But Lord, at the same time, what a privilege it is to be used by you. Thank you, Lord, that you have work for our hands to do. Thank you, Lord, you have called us to build your kingdom here in Hailsham. We ask, Lord, that you would build your kingdom, that you would build a kingdom without walls where all are welcome. We pray that many would come to know you. We pray, God, you would use us to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Help us to play our part in building your kingdom here, and we trust in your protection over our lives. Help us when we face difficult times. Help us when we face opposition. Help us to respond in prayer and give it to you. Help us to respond in action and to get on. Help us to support one another here as a family. In all these things we pray. Amen.